This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. You know, it's interesting, it's clever, and it's based on a very important truth from the Bible. And that's a truth that we're going to explore over the next six weeks. So I want to invite you along on that process Take a look at the screens. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you because it's the very passage that that video was was, uh, based on. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. We're going to spend six weeks in that passage, and it's, uh, it encapsulates some of the most important and life-changing truths in all of Scripture. So I want to welcome you along on that journey and encourage you, if you can, to be here every one of the next six weeks, because each is going to be dealing with very, very important topics in our lives. Before I get into the Bible teaching, let me introduce myself. My name is Ron. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, I would love to do so on the way out. I'll hang out in the lobby. I'm one of the pastoral staff members of the church here. And by now, you probably figured out I'm going to be teaching you for the next few minutes. And uh, so we'll enjoy that. This would be a good time also for you to open your programs, to find in there the the sheet of fill-in-the-blank notes that will guide you along in what I'm going to be teaching you. It's also a package that you could take uh, the truths that we're going to talk about. You can take them home and review them throughout the week. And I know that uh, those of you who attend here regularly, many of you do that already. But if you're new and uh, either you haven't been to this church for a while or haven't been to any church for a while, it's a tool that we give to you to help you in your learning process. And so you can take those out at this time. Also want to say something to those of you who have been coming here for quite a while. Um, We have just completed what we call a spiritual journey. Now, as a faith community, we're, we're always on a spiritual journey. We're always learning. We're always inviting God into our lives, and we're always being changed, changed by Him. But along the way, we have times where we sort of focus on that journey together and we all read the same passages of Scripture and we are guided in prayers and so forth. And uh, so we've just completed a four-week spiritual journey. And the last Scripture that we memorized is found in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible, chapter 15 and verse 58. And it goes like this, Be strong and immovable. That'd be a really good thing to be in life. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. And we, that's, a, that's a goal of ours. Why? For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Yeah, and so 
what we do actually makes a difference in life. And today we're going to take a look at how the, the concepts over the next six weeks will help us be strong and immovable and will enable us to work enthusiastically for the Lord because we're going to talk about being unchained. If you look to my, to my left and your right, you see a bird and the bird is trying to fly. It has a problem or two, as you can tell. Okay? And any bird that's got a chain hanging from its feet is not going to fly very high or very far. And in many ways... That's how we are in life until the Lord comes along and unchains us. So we're going to take a look at what that might mean. For those of you who are the newbies, this is your first time here. I want to welcome you along. Welcome. You're our guest this morning uh, to this faith community. You don't have to earn your way in. You're here. That means you're part of us, and uh, we're enjoying that you're here. Make yourself at home. If you have questions, again, I'll hang out in the lobby afterwards. Feel free to come up and ask any question that you might uh, want to ask. If you need further clarification, I'll be happy to give that to you as well. So now, let's go back to what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to go back and revisit that very first passage that I read to you, but only the first verse of it, because that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So here's Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Okay, It says, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. That's how it begins. Now, let me do a little recapping for you. Um, The concept here is that we're being taken through our imaginations. We're being taken to a great stadium. It's a track and field stadium. There's a track around it with all sorts of lanes and so forth. And the author is saying to us, that in some way, our life is like a race. And it sure is like a race. In fact, the author wants us to know that what's going on down on the, down on the track is not just a race, it's the race. It's the only race that really counts in life. It's the supremely important race of life. And then the author says, I want you to lift your eyes from the track and I want you to look up into the stands because in the stands there are spectators. And what's really interesting is he tells us that the spectators are not your normal spectators. They're something more. They're actually witnesses. Wow, who ever heard of going to a sporting event and the spectators are also witnesses, not just witnesses there to watch what's going on, but these witnesses actually have messages. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Then the author says, I want you to take your eyes off of the stands. I want you to look back on the track because there are participants down there and those participants are running a race. And he, he describes them Kind of with a very simple word. It's, it's only got two letters in it. It's called us. Wow, that means that the, witness, that, the, that the participants are ordinary people. They're you and me. But don't let that word fool you. Because in that word us and in the concept of the race of life, there's a huge message there. If you and I want to be successful in the race of life, We have to approach our lives 
in the same way that a runner would approach a race. There's a lot to think about in that. Then he says, I want you to look carefully because there's obstacles in this race. And he talks about them in terms of two words. There are weights that the runners are carrying, and then there are sins that trip the runners. Now, if you're running in a race, you don't like to be tripped, correct? That's a bad deal, right? And if you're running in a race, you also don't like to pack around weight. That's also a bad deal. These are obstacles that hinder us, hold us down, and sometimes even trip us. And in order for us to understand fully what he's talking about, I want to go back and, and I want to look at just three of those things and explore them, and then we'll mention the others as we go through. So let's go back and take a look at the crowd. Because this is a very, very important crowd. And he says, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the, to the life of faith. Now, anytime you see a, a sentence and it begins with the word since, it means that in order to understand that sentence correctly, you have to go back and read what took place just before that. Because what the author is going to tell us is based on something the author has already told us. Well, the reference to this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. So what immediately precedes that is Hebrews chapter 11. And in fact, it's the whole chapter. Theologians often call it God's hall of fame or the hall of faith. Because the entire 11th chapter is about faith in God. And it mentions many of the more famous men and women whose stories are recorded elsewhere in the Bible. People like Abraham or Moses or David. And, and the list is quite extensive. But they all have a couple of things in common. The first thing they have in common is they were all in the race of life. And in the race of life, they encountered very, very significant obstacles. And the second thing they have in common it was this. They had a faith in God that enabled them to overcome the obstacles and live victorious in life. So guess what? That's what the word sense means. It means these are the people who are in the stands. Those, those people. Let's take a Look at a second thing that it might mean. It means that these aren't your normal spectators. It was kind of interesting to figure out how you get in the stands. Because it's very clear who he's talking about is in the stands. And one of the things that I noted as I was reading through here is this is not a race that you can buy a ticket to. You, you, can't, you can't go online and get a ticket and say, hey, I don't particularly want to be in the race, but I'd like to be in the stands and watch those people. No, there's only one way to get in the stands. You see, everyone in the stands is someone who has already completed the race. There's no one sitting in the stands who hasn't completed the race. If you go back and read chapter 11, there's no one in there that hadn't already completed the race. Wow. 
That, that's an interesting thought. That means that Abraham's there. It means Moses is there. It means David is there. But friends, for me, I have four grandparents who are already there. They've completed the race. They completed it successfully. And they're in the crowd. It means for me, my father is there. He too has completed the race. And he's there. And they're not just there as spectators. Hmm. Take a look at the third principle here. The spectators are also witnesses, and they've got two important messages. And the author doesn't want us to miss this. Because he's saying there's something that the spectators are doing that is supremely encouraging to us and inspiring to us. And I like to visualize it in my mind as every once in a while the cheerleaders lead the crowd in an organized chant and and hopefully it's something inspiring. Sometimes it's degrading to the other team, but usually it's supposed to be inspiring to the home team. That's how that's supposed to work. And these are spectators who have already been where you and I are. They know what it's like. They've been there. They've done that. They've completed the race. And they have two supremely important messages for you and me. And and it's as though they chant it for us to hear. And the first message is this. The race is for real. Because friends, I know. I'm just like you. When the going gets tough and life gets hard, and I look around and sometimes people who have little or no faith in God and rarely go to church and certainly don't work in ministry and sometimes even laugh and spit in the face of God, sometimes it seems like they have fewer problems than I do. And in those moments, it's easy for me to call into question, am I sure this race is for real? I don't put all this effort. I don't want to put all this training. I don't want to do all that stuff only to find out at the end of my life that it was all a big joke and a big hoax and I did it all for nothing. No, no, if, I, if I'm going to train for a race, if I'm going to approach the race the way a runner would approach the race, I want to make sure the race is for real. And the fact that everyone in the stands has already completed the race, their testimony is, you're back. Races for real. But they have an equally important message to give to us. And it's the second message. And that is the same God who empowered us and enabled us to complete our race, to make it to the end. That same God will empower you to make it as well. Those are huge, huge messages. And they're so consistent with everything in Scripture. And so in our hearts and in our spirits, it's important for us to be able to understand and realize that the spectators in the stands not only have been there and done that, they're pulling for us. They're cheering for us. And I know that there are times, you know, probably everyone in the audience, maybe your dad or your mom, you know, wasn't part of a community of faith. But probably somewhere there you had an aunt or an uncle or a grandma or a grandpa or a close friend, somebody you knew 
and you knew well. Well, God wants you to know that even if they've already died and gone to heaven, they're pulling for you. They're in your corner. And they're cheering. And they're saying the race is for real. And the same God who empowered me and enabled me to finish it successfully will enable you. So buck up and don't quit. That's the crowd. Let's take a look at the race or the course. Okay? The Bible says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I want to give you three things about the race. The first thing about the race is this. The race is is a faith-centered race. Now, a faith-centered race is a lot more difficult to run than, than you might think because there are four things about it that are important for you to realize. Number one, a faith-centered race requires unselfishness. You know, I wrote in my notes, a faith-centered race causes me to have to run against the flow of the culture in which I live. Because the culture in which I live is not real big on faith. You know, have you noticed recently that faith doesn't tend to dominate your TV? You probably figured that out, right? It doesn't tend to dominate a whole lot of what our culture really buys into. Because the vast majority of our culture is not faith-centered. And I don't, I don't say that in any condemning way. I say that more out of compassion and just a statement of reality. And one of the reasons why our culture is not really a faith-centered culture is because faith always requires unselfishness and we all find it rather natural to be selfish, right? Yeah. Secondly, it's important for you to realize that faith, a faith-centered race requires morality and purity. And that kind of runs against the flow of our culture. Why? Because we all like to experiment with things that are either immoral or impure. I don't, again, I don't say that condemn any one of us, but I know human beings well enough to know every single one of us is drawn toward impurity. Just like a little three-year-old boy is drawn to every mud hole he can find. Isn't that truth? Yeah. We, it's a picture of how we are in life. We want to know what's on the other side. We kind of want to experiment with the dark side. Because that might be fun. And in some ways, immorality seems more exciting than morality. And impurity seems to hold more intrigue than purity. But a faith-centered race calls us to morality and purity. Third thing is this. It hinges on the spiritual, which is the inner part of us. A faith-centered race focuses on what's going on inside of us, whereas physical race focuses on what is observable to others. For instance, you could be here this morning and your mind could be a million miles away and you could be laughing and spitting in the face of God and I would never, ever, ever know it as long as you came to church and smiled and said, Pastor, that was a great sermon. 
I don't think maybe anybody here is doing that. I would hope not. But the truth is, I can't really observe what's going on in your heart. Only you can. Because it's a faith-centered race. I can observe what's going on in your life physically, and oftentimes a little bit of what's going on in your heart shows on your face. But there are such things as con people, correct? What's going on inside is never on their face. And to some degree, we all have a little con in us, don't we? Sure we do. Yeah. And the fourth thing is this. In a faith-centered race, the rewards are delayed. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. You know, the first time you come to church, your life isn't just completely changed and all of a sudden you have this newfound freedom. No, it's a struggle. The rewards are delayed. <coughs> and oftentimes, when you go with just the flow, you know, I have an example. First time you smoke a, mar- a marijuana joint, you get high right then. It's never delayed. That's why... The physical stuff and the dark side holds appeal to us because usually the rewards are never delayed. Wow. So the first thing I want to tell you about the race or the course is it's a faith-centered race. Second thing I want to tell you about it is this. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We're We're not just talking about religion. We're talking about life. You can get religion for an hour on Sunday morning and get cured by the time you get out of the parking lot. Right? Yeah. But Christ didn't come to give you religion. He came to give you life. He came to unchain you, not just for an hour or two on Sunday morning. He came to unchain all of your life so that you have freedom and you can soar in life and you can run with endurance the race that's marked out before you. It's a marathon, not just a sprint. I'll tell you something else about this this race or course. When you run a marathon, you can't see the finish. It's not like a 100-yard dash where you can see the finish line from the start line. In a marathon, you know all you can see is the next hill or till the next turn in the road. It's all you can see. And what I've learned in life is what God allows me to see is only the next leg of the journey, and sometimes those legs are pretty short. I can't see all that far ahead, but I know where I'm supposed to run next. And it's important for me to stay there and to, and, and, and to keep looking for the course markers so that I can stay on the course. But you know what? Every single one of us in this room is sometimes tempted to veer off the course and run where we would like to. Correct? Now, I uh, have some friends in Portland who are big bird hunters. And they have bird dogs. And they like to go to eastern Oregon and hunt what they call chuckers. Which I don't even know what a chucker is, okay? I just know it's a bird, right? I do know this, if you have a bird dog and your bird dog starts chasing rabbits, it's no good. That's a bad deal. And in fact, 
a bird hunter will tell you once the dog starts chasing rabbits, it's only a matter of time until that dog is useless to you. Because now it's charting its own course. And friend, I can tell you that God has a course marked out for you. God has a course marked out for me. And I will be tempted, and so will you, to look and say, Oh, the hill is too steep on this course. I believe I'll go over here on the flat. But as soon as you veer off the course, you're no longer in the race. And the finish line is not that way. It's over the hill. Third thing I want to say about this is although similar, in many ways, everyone's course is unique. Now, friend, there's a great lesson in this because oftentimes it's easy for pastors to sort of cast the Christian life in cookie-cutter fashion. And to be sure, when you're running on a track, kind of there's a similar thing to everybody's course, but there are lanes. And the truth is, runners will tell you that though everyone's running on the same track and they're headed toward the same finish line, a runner will tell you that the strategy that you need to use in lane one is different from the strategy that you should use in lane nine. And you have to be aware of which lane you're in and you have to be aware of what is required for you to be successful in that lane. Because if you're in lane one and you run the race like you're in lane nine... Chances are you will fail. And vice versa. Now here's what I want you to know. We're on the same track. We're headed to the same finish line. But just because no two people in this world are alike, so no court, no two courses, even the courses of faith, will not be exactly the same. Now there's good news in that. Let me tell you what I mean by that. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what bad choices you have made in life, no matter how damaged your life is, no matter how hurt you have been, no matter what sort of setbacks, failures, faults, whatever, throw it all in the hopper. You know what God says? Listen to this carefully. God says, I still have a course for you. And it still ends up at the same finish line. But it's important that you understand it's your course and God loves you and God knows you personally and God has specifically designed the course for you. And that's why it's important that you run your course And don't try to run mine. And it's important for me to run my course and not yours. It is marked out for you and for me. So let's look at a third thing. That's the weights and the sins. The author says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Hmm. What are the weights? And what are the sins? Well, let's start with the weights. The weights are the baggage from life. The baggage in life that we carry ourselves. 
You know what I've learned about myself and about life? I've learned that no one has a perfect childhood. Everybody's got baggage, right? Shake your head like this. Everybody's got baggage. No one has a perfect childhood. No one has a perfect adulthood. And in fact, by the time most of us leave our homes of origin, our bags are pretty full. We've experienced hurt from our parents because our parents weren't perfect. From our siblings. I know it's hard to believe, but your siblings are not perfect. Even the ones your parents think are, correct? That might be what's in your bag. Yeah. You've got hurts from the playground. You've got hurts from an insensitive teacher who made you feel dumb. You've got hurts. I mean, the list goes on. You've got hurts from a girlfriend who, who, who broke up with you in a very unkind way in the third grade. Your heart was dashed, right? It's in the bag. It's all there. You know the interesting thing about the weights in life? The weights that are in our bag are not things that we choose. You get to choose your parents? No, I didn't get to choose mine. I didn't say I would have chosen them differently, but I still get to choose them. I have two brothers. God never consulted me about either one. It just didn't happen. I didn't get to choose even the schools I went to. I didn't get I, so many things about life I didn't get to choose. I didn't I didn't get to choose how tall I am, or in my case, how short I am. Right? I I, I didn't get to choose even how much hair I would have. Obviously, right? Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Most of the stuff in life we don't get to choose. But you know, any of those things can become weights. You ever try to run a race and you're packing pounds, bags? You had a backpack and you're trying to run with a backpack and in the backpack a bunch of weights and you're in a hundred yard dash or worse yet, you're on what we are, a marathon. Yeah. The weights are the hurts. The baggage that we just pick up from life. And the amazing thing about it is, if you don't keep the bags empty, it starts to accumulate. How heavy is heavy? I saw this illustrated one time. Because a lot of times we think, oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not that big deal. Okay? But I saw, I saw a guy, and he says, I'll show you how heavy is a relative word. He says, here. And he took a pint jar of water, and he said, heavy or not heavy? Most of us said, not heavy. He said, I need someone to come up here. I'm going to put it in your hand. I want you to hold it out like this for 15 minutes. Heavy or not heavy? Heavy. That's the way hurts are. They accumulate, and they get heavier the longer we hang on to them. Okay? You know how we usually start dealing with hurts? Denial. Correct? I'm not doing so bad. 
Other people have it worse. We sort of deny that we've got our bags full. And then when that doesn't work, then we try, I'll gut it out. I'll be strong. I'll persevere. I will plow through life. I'll make it anyway. Then somewhere along the line, we figure out, can't do it. And here's the problem. At that point, we usually give up. And God has a better plan. None of those are on the race set before us. Those are our ways of dealing with it. So what are sins? Well, sins are the temptations that we yield to in life. Now, they are related, by the way, to the hurts. Did you know that? By the way, when you're carrying a heavy load, does it make it easier for you to trip and fall? Of course it does. And if you're in a race and you're packing pounds, and especially if you're packing a lot of pounds, it doesn't take much of a bump or a dip in the course for you to stumble and you've got little or no room or margin for error when you're packing a bunch of weight. And if you get a little bit off kilter, down you go. Now the difference between the weights and the sins is the weights will slow you down, but the sins will make you fall. I mean, literally... The sins will take you out of the race. That's why he says, you've got to strip off the weights that slow you down, and you've got to be especially careful of the sins that so easily trip us up, cause us to fall. Over the next five weeks, not counting this morning, we're going to be looking at, at five very, very important weights that we sort of all get in life. You can call them just sort of like standard issue in life. And each of those weights is connected with two or three actual sins that if we don't deal with the weights properly, they just open us up to those sins. And the sins will take us out of the race. So guess what? Third thing is, weights and sins, although they're related, they have to be dealt with differently. You see, the weights are not our choice, and because they are not our choice, listen to me carefully, the weights that you and I, the baggage that you and I encounter in life, it's not of our own choice. You know what should not be associated with them? Guilt and shame. But do we ever get them associated with that? That's a big challenge. Now that's a detour. And I'll tell you why it's a detour. Because God gave you the ability to to feel guilt and to feel shame to lead you to a place in life that all of us need to be led to when we're in the wrong. And it's a place called repentance. I'll talk to you more about that as we move through the series. The problem is repentance doesn't help baggage. I was really, really sick. A couple of weeks ago, went to see the doctor, and I said, I need some drugs. I didn't actually say it like that. I said, I, I'm going down, and I've been down now for four days, and I'm still going down. I think I need some antibiotics. And the doctor asked me a few questions and said, Sir, <coughs> you don't have a bacterial infection. You have a viral infection. And if I give you bacteria, if I give you antibiotics, it will just wave at the viruses on the way by. 
Yeah. Can I tell you that when you try to deal with the baggage of your life through repentance because you feel guilty about it and you feel shame about it, can I tell you that repentance just waves at the weights? Doesn't deal with them. Because there's only one appropriate way to deal with weights. You ready for it? You might want to write this down. It's called release. I'm going to teach you how to release the baggage from your life. Now let's talk about the sin, okay? Because the sin is the result of temptations that you and I have yielded to, and therefore we made the choice, and we are responsible for the choice. And guess what? You know what should be connected with that sin? What do you think? Guilt and shame. Isn't it amazing how we get that backwards? We feel guilty about, let's say, being abused as a child. We didn't make that choice. We feel guilty of that and ashamed about it. And we keep trying to repent of that. And we didn't do it. But we can go out and be immoral and not necessarily feel guilty about that or shame because everyone's doing it. That's just part of not thinking correctly and having our mind twisted and warped away from the course of life. So these are bad choices we have made. And God connects guilt and shame. Why? To lead us to this point of repentance. Because, friends, I can tell you, if you try to deal with sin in your life by using release, I just release it and pretend like I didn't do it and thank God He forgives me. Guess what? (laughs) Release will just wave at your sin and do nothing with it. Because the, and God will tell you the only appropriate way to deal with sin is actual repentance. We'll work on that in some specific areas as we go through. I want to move to the closing thought because I want to go back to the crowd. Okay, I already told you in the crowd, Abraham was in the crowd and Moses is in the crowd and David's in the crowd. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited about that because one day I want to be in the crowd too. And one day I want to be cheering on the people who are on the track and hopefully it's my kids and my grandkids and it's your kids and your grandkids and and hopefully many of you. And I want to be pulling for you and cheering for you, but I want to go back and look in the crowd because it's it's not just David and Moses and people I want to meet and it's not just my my grandparents and my parents and I've got some aunts and uncles and and cousins and so forth who are already there that uh, that I'm excited are in the crowd. But I I want you to look, because in the crowd, in the crowd is the most important spectator of all, and that's Jesus. He's in the crowd. In fact, the author says to us, we do this by keeping our eyes on whom? On Jesus. You know, if we'll learn to spend most of our time listening to him and recognizing he's pulling for us. He's the champion who initiates the faith that holds us in the race. And he's the one who perfects or develops our faith. 
How, how can he do that? He's been there. He's done that because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. That's how he finished. And, 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 and he disregarded its shame. The whole of humanity was going one way and Jesus was going another. And he was okay with it. Now he's seated in the place of honor at God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you will not become weary and give up. I've included a prayer. It's in your program and it's going to be on the screen. And I want to give you a moment to read it in silence. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to read it out loud with me. But I want to say this before you read it silently. When I give you the opportunity to read it out loud, I don't want you to read it out loud because you think it's expected of you. In fact, I don't want you to read it out loud if you don't mean every word of it. It's a simple prayer, but it's a prayer that draws us next to God. And it's a prayer that gets us ready for what God's going to do in our lives over the next five weeks. So take a moment and read it so you know for sure if you want to read it out loud with me. Okay, if you're ready, let's read together. Lord Jesus, I want to be unchained for the race of life. And I want to run the entire course you marked out for me. Over the coming weeks, I will honestly inventory my baggage. I will distinguish between the weights and the sins. With your help, I will cut the weights loose and let them fall away from my life. If I need help in doing this, I will seek it from qualified spiritual leaders and pastors. I also commit myself to full repentance from the sins I find during this inventory. I take full responsibility for the choices that I have made that have led to those sins. Thank you for purchasing my forgiveness through your death at Calvary. I pray to the Father in your name. Amen. Amen. Up here. Hopefully each week our bird will get a little higher. That's the idea. This morning we're going to unshackle one of those links. I want you to look at it for a minute because I want you to understand this. We're going to move into a time where we're going to give, we're going to give everyone the opportunity to participate in communion. But I want us to do it a special way this morning. I want you to think of the weights and the hurts that you've carried in life and maybe still carry. And I want you to think of the sins that maybe you still have in your life. And I want you to understand this, that Jesus came to release you, to unchain you from both. Let me read you two passages of Scripture. Take a look. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 24, I'll just say it to you, okay? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says this, By his wounds, the wounds that Jesus took on the cross, by his wounds you are healed. That has to do with the weights. 
Christ came that you could be healed from whatever hurts have taken place in your life. He gave his life so that you could let those go. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25 teach us that Christ purchased our forgiveness. God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous, unchained from our sins. In other words, how did he do this? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. How did he do that? For God presented Jesus as what? The sacrifice for our sins. So this morning, as we partake of communion, as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, I want you to think of them as two things. I want you to think of them, first of all, in the context of healing. That what you are taking into your body and into your spirit is what Christ did for you. And it's designed like the most powerful medicine in the world to heal every hurt in your life. And then I want you to think as you, as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, I want you to think of them also as something that purifies all the impurities of your life. For Christ came that you might be pure. If you're not at a place where you're ready to do that, it's okay. When the trays are passed, um, just simply pass it to your neighbor. But take a moment to think about the hurts and the healing that Christ wants to bring to your life and the sins that trip you up and how he wants to unchain you from that. If you haven't been to church in a while or haven't been to this church, in a couple of minutes our ushers will be passing through the audience trays, and on the trays there will be small portions of bread, small cups. If you want to participate, take a piece of bread, take one of the cups. And after you've held it and, and meditated appropriately on the things I just talked to you about, eat the bread, drink the cup in honor of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, sometimes you just take the pieces of life and you begin to put them together and they make so much sense. Thank you for addressing our hurts. Thank you for addressing our sins. Thank you for coming to heal us by your wounds. Lord, as we participate in communion this morning, may... May it go down to our very spirits and souls and begin to minister healing to the wounds that are there, the hurts. Then, Lord, would you help it also to go down into our spirits and begin to clean house, to purify who we are, that we might live unchained from the weights and the sins. We bless you in your own great name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.